Wasabi Kimasabi, this is Darko the Super, and you're listening to Cabbages, the Hip Hop Podcast. Gary, I tried to do this video game thing for Little Nicky, okay. but this was an unplayable video game. So was it that it was particularly hard? Was it that it it's was not that hard it's navigate? hard? It's it's not that it's like a, a particularly hard thing. It's that it it's wander. It, it's just kind of pointless. So like you run from like chicken establishment to chicken establishment, and the whole thing is like if you get to a fried chicken house, then you like run faster and the game's easier. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean these and are that's all- it. Like that's I mean, these the, are all parallel elements to what happens in the movie. So I mean, like I do see that. So I, like I, fried chicken's a big part of the movie. Why are you asking me that question? Well, did, okay. So Jeff, all right, hold, hold on, hold on. Now wait, let's wait, wait. not let's not get too upset here. But I, yeah. Jeff, uh huh. Wait, uh huh. Have you not seen this movie, Little Nicky? Did you just play the video game for Little Nicky and not watch the movie Little Nicky? Okay, when you say it like that, it sounds so bad. It makes me sound like a bad person, which I'm not. I agreed to do an episode of this podcast where we didn't talk about Hubie Halloween. And I said we could do an episode about a different Sandler movie. It just so happened that we were around the 20th anniversary of Little Nicky. Mm -hmm. I remember And so, yes, you should remember this. And we said we were going to do this as a little Nikki special where you and I would just sit down and talk about this movie. Time is such a funny thing, isn't it? Where you just sort of look over and you're cooking some fish or something. And then you're like, oops, it's only 20 minutes until the podcast. And I didn't watch little Nikki. One, I don't believe you cook your own food. Okay. I do. That is an insult. I do. Two, I don't believe you eat fish. I do. That's also something I do. I don't think I've ever seen you eat fish in my entire time knowing you. Okay, that's fair, but I have done it and I do it all the time. It's just this is just another example of your kind of passive aggressive approach to us doing the show, a show that you agreed to do. I anticipated that you might not watch this movie. Huh. What are you what are you gonna do about it? Well, I'm going to employ uh, some real three-dimensional chess here. I have assembled a panel of guests to discuss the movie Little Nicky with us today. And we're going to sit here, all of us together, and talk about this movie. So I have to be a part of a panel, even though I've never seen the film. Correct. And this is going to be uh, your um, comeuppance, as there have been in so many uh, Adam Sandler movies, including Hubie Halloween and Little Nicky, mm-hmm. uh, where the, uh, the bad guy gets his comeuppance. And I look forward uh, to this discussion we're going to have. I deserve this. You do. Hello, and welcome to this very special episode of Pumpkins, a Hubie Halloween podcast. Today, we're taking a look back at the 2000 Adam Sandler film, Little Nicky, which recently celebrated its 20th anniversary. To mark this occasion, we've assembled a fantastic panel of experts here to discuss the first Sandler starring vehicle to come under the Happy Madison Productions in Premature. I give you the jury of the damned. Our panelists today are as follows. First up is Darko the Super. He's a rapper from Philadelphia who runs the indie label You Don't Deserve This Beautiful Art. His new album is entitled There's a Horse in the Hospital. Next up is Brittany Spanos. She's senior writer with Rolling Stone Magazine, a veritable Sandman scholar. Her recent work includes profiles of Stevie Nicks and Evanescence's Amy Lee. Last but certainly not least is Kelsey Chapman. She's a music and culture journalist with bylines at Revolver and Vice, and she currently writes about shopping for The Independent. She also plays drums in the band Cup, whose latest album is called Nothing Could Be Wrong. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It is after the anniversary, technically, by about a month, um, but we're not going to get ourselves uh, too hung up on that. We're going to talk about this movie as if it were the anniversary, because it kind of is. Brittany, based on my understanding, you are probably the most learned 
uh, Sandler scholar in this panel. And I, I am an Adam Standler, Adam. as we like to call ourselves. <laughs> I, I'm glad I went with my gut with that, <laughs> but you had a much, much better answer than I did. Um, I would love to get a sense about uh, your uh, your history of Adam Sandler movie fandom and specifically kind of where little Nikki fell in all of that. So I I really love a lot of Adam Sandler movies. I mean, obviously there's several duds in, in the pack, but I count 51st Dates to be my favorite movie of all time. Uh -huh. um, that's like how much that I think that because of how much I love that movie, I have a soft spot for a lot of Adam Sandler films because I have like such a good, good association with that film in particular. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I just like grew up on his movie so much. Like even with Lil Nicky, I hadn't seen it in until I watched it last night. Like I hadn't watched it in several years, but it's just one of those movies that was always on TV. Like I have the association of like, it just being on TNT or FX randomly in the middle of the day while yeah. I was on like summer break, you know, it's like one of those movies that was just like always on. And that's the same thing with like 51st Dates and The Wedding Singer and a lot of, you know, the kind of 90s, early 2000s Adam Sandler films where I'm, I just would always kind of like put them on and they would be just like really good for kind of kicking back for an hour and a half and crying, laughing at them. But I, I really love his movies. I love his serious stuff too. Um, I think it's become, it sort of became like a running joke because of how much I love 51st Dates with my friends because I very earnestly love that movie. Mm -hmm. But I do really actually love a lot of Adam Sandler movies. And when I go back and watch them, I'm like, I actually really enjoy almost all of his films. Having gone back recently and rewatched Little Nicky, does Little Nicky fall within that uh, positive side? Of, uh, of your reassessments. I definitely feel like it's like a mid-tier Adam Sandler film, but I found it really fun. And like the soundtrack is super fun. The cast is crazy. Like I forgot Reese Witherspoon was in there. Yeah. And it's just like so many people that I also very clearly didn't really know who they were at the time. Like when I watched it as a kid, like Harvey Keitel and like Rodney Dangerfield and like all, a lot of like cameos from people that I just like didn't fully appreciate, but watching it back now I'm like oh my god like just like literally how did he get all these people in there which is very true of most Adam Sandler films where you're like how did he get all these like really just like insane cast members along with the crew of his best friends that he has in every movie I think this is the first Adam Sandler movie where he really brought in those friends and brought in mm -hmm. those like SNL peers and folks in such a way and I think this is the first Adam Sandler movie that really went in on the cameos and the Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. you know, John Lovitz in the very beginning, peeping in the tree at Mulholland Drive's Laura Haring, singing <laughs> the song, Ladies' Night, Cool in the Gang's Ladies' Night, from The Wedding Singer, but yeah. in a totally different context, just as creepy, I'd argue, <laughs> but still <laughs> doing it. There's a number of these throughout the movie. You have, obviously, Rob Schneider uh, playing the townie from uh, The Water Boy again, uh, like people like Michael McKeon, uh, Jana Carvey is the referee, uh, Ellen Clayhorn being in the crowd for that. There's just so many people who are in this. It's wonderful to, uh, to just be exposed to that. Kelsey, can you tell me a bit about your experience with this movie historically and presently? Because my understanding is that you've seen this multiple times just this year. <laughs> yeah, they're mostly this year, actually. Um, I didn't see Little Nicky until probably two years ago, but I kind of grew up uh, an Adam Sandler fan just because when I was like 99, 2000, like around that time, like the turn of the century, I was really into Big Daddy and then Grandma's Boy, Fifty First Dates, of course, um, and a few other Adam Sandler movies. Like I remember watching The Water Boy a few times. So I don't know why I didn't get into Little Nicky because that was all of the music that I was super into right then, like especially Incubus being on the soundtrack and like Filter and bands like that. So I watched it, I guess I was probably 30 the first time I saw it, like three years ago. And uh, I was just like, this is insane. I don't know why I didn't watch this when I was a kid because it would have been my favorite movie. But yeah, I saw it on TV. I guess it was the day of the anniversary last month. My husband and I were watching and we like, finished it from about halfway on and last night we rewatched so it's kind of become one of those like standards you can just put on and watch it anytime even though it's completely ridiculous now is there anything that cropped up that 
kind of shocked you or made you surprised to see it either pleasantly or otherwise? Um, actually, for me, it was where they filmed the scene right before he turns into a pile of rats oh. and starts chasing people. That scene is filmed entirely like in our old neighborhood uptown, uh, especially like, on our block. It's kind of crazy. So that shocked me because I was just like, oh, wow, like I didn't know that this was filmed like around the area that I lived in New York for the first seven years I was here. But also just like the the little, I guess, like the P.O.D., songs um all of those like new metal songs that i would have made so many pod songs so many fucking pod songs like i would have made my stepdad go to work and burn me a cd with those songs on it and bring them like back to me because i didn't have internet access being like a rural kid but just all of that like and the cameos like you were talking about the actors i've seen those actors in so many things at this point that it's kind of insane to go watch that movie and be like oh wow they're they're all right here again wouldn't have known that they were so prevalent throughout his like filmography I guess now now Darko I know you and I've had a number of discussions online recently about various Sandler films we talked about kind of some of the emotional moments in click uh we've talked about just a general love for his catalog your appreciation of his recent stand-up special uh where does little Nikki fall on all that for you um you know I put it towards the top there uh for me I, um, you know, I got, I got into him around with my brother, you know, we had the, the box set of sorts, the double feature with, uh, Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. So those, I watched those a lot as a kid. Um, but yeah, I, I put, you know, I remember seeing little Nikki around, I guess when it came out, I assume. And, um, yeah, I, I put it up with his one, you know, one of his best as far, as far as his, you know comedy side you know i love i love punch drunk love that's one of my favorite films so i will say comedians you know like bill hicks and andy kaufman that's who i got my whole you know style from as far as performing on stage i used to try to be like tony clifton you know stuff like that um mm. but yeah so i think you know and i got the whole you know uh does humor belong in music thing from frank zappa and all that and as far as Adam Sandler goes, I think, you know, uh, I just love the absurdity of things that he does, you know? And there's tons of absurdity in this movie. Yes. Uh, just... Now, Jeff, you haven't seen this movie, um, which is frustrating beyond end, <laughs> uh, given that we have decided to dedicate an entire podcast to this movie. Um, and again, this is why I've assembled a panel, because I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to pull this kind of crap. Well, first and foremost, you you kind of led off part of the conversation by just informing me that there are multiple POD songs <laughs> on the soundtrack to this record. And that <laughs> is maybe the worst selling point I've ever heard in my life. So that's kind of started <laughs> off for me, is that like I really, after hearing all of you uh, talk about this film with such earnestness and enjoyment, I want to see it less now than I did before. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just what it is. Are you going to tell me, though, that in 2000, <laughs> when this movie came out, that you weren't listening to some questionable music? Yeah, just not that questionable music. <laughs> yeah, totally. When, when did this come out? 97? No, this is in the year 2000. It's the 20th anniversary. Please try to keep up. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, okay, well, in that case, you would, you would catch your boy lamping with some post-rock, probably. So, yeah. You know, I listen to terrible music too, but I'm not going to not with POD. It's not for me. Okay. So you feel you're too good for Disturbed and uh, Incubus. Too good? Absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly the way I would put it. Hmm. And too good to watch this movie, apparently. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm too good of a person, just generally as a human. You're at least 40, right? Uh, I am 39. Yeah. <laughs> Crushed yeah. it. That sounds about <laughs> right. It does sound about right. Doesn't it? <laughs> Uh, I am a man of a certain age, and that age is P.O.D. sounds like toilets flushing to me. That's my age. So we're like, what kind of post-rock were you listening to, though? Like, were you listening to Mogwai in 2000 and feeling like really cool about it? Uh, luckily for me, I had a lot of access to uh, a radio station. So I was listening to, uh. to a lot of different stuff. Uh, 
probably my favorite of that era was Foxhole. I don't think anybody is going to get that deep. So you're just trying to pick the most obscure. It was my favorite. I own the record. I don't know what to tell you. And you, and you just didn't go out to movies or anything at the time, no? Yeah, I went to movies all the time. I just didn't go to every Adam Sandler movie <laughs> that has ever come out, including the one with multiple POD songs. I, I got to pick and choose because I was an adult. Can we at least <laughs> agree that if we're going to do a podcast about a movie, we should, in principle, all have seen the movie? In principle, I agree. In well, actuality, did... I don't, apparently. I'm sorry. But what you did do, though, and I think it's worth sharing with the with the group is that notes. you have decided to play the Game Boy color game version of Little Nicky. That instead. was made especially as part of their uh, as part of their uh, general sales pitch. Yeah. I, I, Are any of you familiar with this Game Boy game? I'm like sad that I was not familiar with it. I would have loved to have that along with like the Mary Kate and Ashley game I had in 2000. No. First and foremost, <laughs> it's not crazy that you don't know about it because there's, I found maybe three of them online uh, for sale. One, uh, two of them were $20 and one was $800. Oh my God. You got that $800 <laughs> one though, right? So of course I bought the $800 <laughs> one and I really gave it a run. Uh, I appreciate you pointing that out. I'm a man of distinctive taste. Mm -hmm. um, so I haven't seen the movie, so maybe just true, false, this is in the movie or not for a second. I've got a few notes. Uh, Adam Sandler in a leisure suit spying on a hot neighbor undressing. No, that's that's John Lovitz. Okay, so that's not good. No, that's yeah, really bad. That's pretty awful. That's a bad start. Uh, and then uh, Adam Sandler dies falling out of a tree because he's been shot in the face by a uh, slingshot. Still, still John Lovett. Still the start of the film. That's no good. All right. This is literally the first five minutes of the yeah. movie. Okay. So maybe I have seen this. $800 you would have to pay for. And this is before the gameplay starts. This just shows you this. This is the cutscene. Yeah, this is the cutscene. This is the, the cold open, if you will. Uh, someone goes to hell. There's a lot of like it's drop down dialogue. So like the whole screen is words for a while uh, and it's people talking and you can kind of not tell who's talking, but someone talks to demons for a while. And then the whole game seems to hinge on little Nikki staying warm. Is that a thing that if he gets cold, uh, he can't run. He does. Fast. He does wear a it's coat. It's not and for stuff. him. Yeah. Mm. Like it's like, there's like a lot of cut scenes to the, um, like his brothers like have to keep their feet warm constantly oh, yeah, like the when they are on earth. Yeah. The, the like whole they have game to stay hinges on him running from from chicken restaurant to chicken restaurant. Yeah. Pop, to stay Popeyes. warm because if he <laughs> yeah. if he if he's warm, he runs faster. And the, the level It's funny easy. that that's what they picked out of the movie to turn into a full game. <laughs> so this this game is awful. <laughs> Uh, I have a couple of quotes from the dialogue that I got before I, I quit. I quit after like level two because it was truly impossible to play. Uh, I need better support for my head boobs. Is that a film? Yeah, that's in the, wow. that's in the movie. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin Nealon, in an unfortunate uh, set of circumstances, has his head turned into a pair of breasts by the devil who is played by Harvey Keitel. This keeps getting better. I keep wanting to watch this less and less. Uh, and do you think these head boobs look nice? That was another one that was said. Uh, lastly, the only part of the game that is uh, serves its function and is fun is a bonus thing where you can listen to a mixtape of metal songs, but they're all in like, you know, 8-bit uh, Nintendo Game Boy Color music. So it doesn't at all sound like you know, metal. That's the only part that's functional and fun of the whole game. So you're okay with listening to Incubus or POD as long as it's an 8-bit. But it's not saying. their songs. They wrote original songs and made a metal mixtape. Oh, yeah. I don't think okay. they're the real songs. Maybe that's a callback to Little Nicky's, you know, metal compilation that he was, I he think was trying so. to show his dad in the, in the movie. Okay. Oh, sure. Yeah. 
Well, they have Jeff. Why are you Jeff? Why are you agreeing? You didn't. I know. First and foremost, (laughs) I feel like I have because I had to play this shitty game. (laughs) I saw like thirty minutes of this film. (laughs) The focus on the chicken in the game is amusing because an unkind way of talking about this film would be say it's an hour and a half long advertisement for Popeyes. Not inaccurate. There's definitely a lot of fried chicken in it. Yeah, Popeyes definitely must have funded the film in some capacity. <laughs> so this is like a Mac and Me thing? Oh, no. Oh, God, Mac That and was me. funded by wow. McDonald's, and that's why yeah. it sucks. <laughs> there are no... There actually might be characters that look similar to Mac in this one that play demons. <sighs> Maybe this is all just but... a callback to Mac and Me, and I'll like the film. This is the best, <laughs> this is the best sales pitch I've heard yet. No, no, you've willingly watched Mac and Me, but you would not watch Little Nicky for your own podcast. That's not entirely true. I watched it multiple times and I won't watch Little Nicky. Yeah, that's more accurate. Yeah. What the hell is Mac and Me? Definitely. Oh, man, you got to see Mac and Me. It's an incredible film. Nightmare. Yeah. Is it I mean, though? like in the exact opposite sense. Yeah. A kid goes off a cliff in a mm-hmm. wheelchair and there's like an extended falling scene where he just kind of makes a really sad long oh, no. pathetic noise spoiler alert and, yeah i think that's the highlight it of the most song. definitely is while i appreciate this uh this fun little conspiracy theory from someone who hasn't seen the movie we're talking about what it does seem to me to be is one of the many callbacks within this movie um if you've seen happy gilmore recently you probably noticed that it's basically an hour and a half long advertisement for subway there's also hooters and big daddy where right. they talk about Hooters quite a bit and they have like a party at the end at a Hooters. Yeah, that's weird. I think the only food in 51st Dates was Spam. <laughs> spam and eggs, yeah. I think. I, I don't get the impression that Spam has particularly deep pockets, do you? <laughs> in Hawaii, yes, it's very popular there. Yeah. That it does. That's where they filmed it, so. I mean, it's probably at this point owned by another like much larger corporation, so the pockets could be pretty deep. Yeah. Of the many character choices uh, that Adam Sandler has made over the years, uh, this is certainly one of them. What is described as a speech impediment, but I don't know if I would necessarily call that uh, a speech impediment, but it's again, he's doing another voice and he's kind of known for that sort of voice work in a number of these uh, absurdist films. Did any of you gather what he was trying to do with that voice or have a sense of where he might have been pulling that from because I was having trouble understanding. He got hit in the face with a shovel. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, the shovel thing. And I don't know how you would end up whispering after that. but <laughs> I think it was like because he was so bullied by his brothers. Like the character yeah. is supposed to be kind of like small, you know, like kind of like. Yeah. It could also be because he's half angel because his mom mm-hmm. is Reese Witherspoon as an angel. So maybe it's like soft spokenness associated with innocence. I think he just did it yeah. to be funny. Yeah, that's a funny voice. Yeah, I mean, he did he did a lot of funny voice work at the time. (laughs) I mean, I think that's his main thing. Speaking of voice work, is uh, Robert Smigel, who uh, many know for being Triumph the Insult comic dog, plays another dog in this movie, Beefy. But I couldn't quite understand what his connection to hell was, how he knew Satan, or kind of how he ended up on Earth. Yeah, he only said he was a you know an old friend of a devil or whatever. But then he also has extraordinary powers. He just seems to be a talking dog for most of the film. And then in a pivotal scene, he shoots a dart out of his dog penis. There is Adam Sandler had a bulldog. This just came out of the recess of recesses of like my people reading brain when I was reading magazines all the time. Adam Sandler had a bulldog named Meatball. And he was alive from 1995, 1999 to 2004. Oh, so I bet that was actually Meatball either in the movie or it was supposed to be like yeah maybe it was just like a tribute to like this is my dog he's the best thing i've ever had he has a bulldog now because he did the dreams meme where he put his bulldog on a skateboard oh he must just be a bulldog guy yeah i remember this new bulldog is named bagel do you do you think he's rich enough that he can afford a bulldog that actually shoots darts out of its penis yes you think he's got that much money? That, yes. that might have actually just been what that dog could do. Absolutely. <laughs> Amazing. You can look up his net worth if we need to. I don't know what the level of riches needs to be for a penis 
dark dog. He has like built an entire career over the last couple of decades of just like making movies with his best friends in really exotic locales. Like he's just like, we're just all going to go on vacation and film a movie that Netflix is going to pay millions of dollars for. And oh, yeah. so he, I, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt that he has bulldog with like. For natural you know. abilities. Yeah. Mm. I guess then it seems more plausible in real life than in the context of this movie that he would have a dog that shoots a dart <laughs> and has his dog penis. I couldn't have said it better myself, to... Gary. Is that the consensus we've come to here? I think so. He's worth $420 million. Oh, yeah. So, of course it's 420 But, uh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I think that that's probably bulldog dick gun money. <laughs> You know, yeah, but okay, well, let's. I want to focus and hone in on that 420 because maybe that's a way of getting Jeff to engage a little better with this. Is there is a scene where they eat a uh, a cake that's been uh, baked with hashish um, and all get really high and then eat a ton of chicken? When this happened, did they do the like the music thing that all movies that people get high have, where like there was like a an East Indian guitar starts playing? And a big symbol splash. <laughs> no, I think they played Chicago. All right, I'm into that. <laughs> exactly. I'm they listening. did play Chicago. And then they also played it in reverse. Can I ask something about that scene? Please. When the dog said, when he's like, what's reefer? And the dog goes, 500 bucks an ounce. Is that really how much it costs? It does not. That seemed high to me. I don't, I would I don't be, smoke, so I don't know. I would not smoke weed if it was $500 an ounce. Yeah, that seemed like a lot. <laughs> Seemed like a lot of money for that. That's a lot for a cake. Yeah, not that I have any like uh, any past with selling illegal drugs or anything, but I can say with authority <laughs> that it's not five hundred dollars for an. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that maybe Adam Sandler? Uh, his co-writers, uh, Stephen Brill and, and Tim Hurley. Do you think they were just getting really ripped off for the weed <laughs> they were buying when they were making this movie? Oh yeah. They were definitely rich white dudes getting ripped off. That makes sense. I feel like also like Adam Sandler probably doesn't smoke weed. Like I feel like he has like his movies are terrible to watch really high. That they is get true. really emotional. I cry during every Adam Sandler movie. Like they get really emotional. Like it's a terrible movie to watch when you're like completely high. Did you cry during UB Halloween? Um, no, I didn't cry during that one. Okay. But I did get really emotional at the end of this one in a way that I was very shocked, but like most, most Adam Sandler movies, I get really, really emotional during. And I feel like I just would not want to be super stoned during them. What was it about the ending in this one? I got really emotional during when they did like the, here's where everyone is now. And then the mom, Reese Witherspoon's character ends up with Chris Farley. Uh, I thought that was just so sweet. It made me, it made me tear up. Mm. I thought it was just like, so cute. I thought that was one of the, one of the best parts of the movie is like the, the ending with like where are they now that was actually one of the best it was just such a night i don't know i feel like just whenever he brings up chris farley i always yeah. get really emotional just because of their friendship but i thought that was just such a nice touch at the end kind of good at that he did that with hubie halloween recently mm-hmm. he had like a tribute to that actor that young actor he was oh, yeah sure. he's kind of good at mixing the ridiculous comedy with like emotional drive I'm so glad that we're talking about Hubie Halloween. Uh, <laughs> oh, God damn. Jeff is very uh, opposed to the fact that we do a podcast, a weekly podcast about Hubie Halloween. Um, <laughs> Militantly but I think, opposed. But one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about Little Nicky was because it's Sandler's first kind of spooky movie, the first of, uh, of several spooky movies. You know, you get into the Hotel Transylvanias. For those of you who've seen both films, do you see any parallels between... Uh, the two and sort of kind of where they fall. Do you think they're in the same lineage in the same universe? Totally. Yeah. Like his kind of stunted emotional growth. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like a, a really strong parental figure being in it and being kind of evil at the same mm-hmm. time. Uh, his character being like very sweet and nice, but like loathed by so many people at once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like kind of inexplicable. Like it's just like, okay, well, everyone kind of hates this like really sweet guy. Well, I guess in Little Nicky, it's a lot more common, like a lot more, like makes a lot more sense because his brothers are literally evil. But true, a hot blonde is involved mm-hmm. that Adam Sandler gets to make out with at the end. Yeah, but that's like every movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it's just generally every movie ever, maybe. Well, no, sometimes in an Adam Sandler movie, it is a brunette. <laughs> that's yeah. a point. Good point. That's a fine point. <laughs> 
When has it been a brunette? Uh, well, that's anything with Jennifer Aniston, I'd argue. And yeah. then, she and then for Faruza Balk in The Waterboy. Okay, that's true. Uh, but I, we can certainly make a case for him having a, a clear preference for blondes. Despite Jackie being a brunette, his wife, who is in Hubie Halloween, but I don't remember seeing her in Little Nicky. She was in there. Is she? She's one of the okay. angels. Oh, that yeah. makes sense, yeah. Another parallel that I found with Hubie Halloween that really struck me is in Hubie Halloween, George Wallace plays the mayor of Salem. He's amazing, amazing comedian. Um, and it was wild to see him in this. He plays the mayor of New York in Little Nicky. You see him during the church scene do that. There's this, this cinematic universe that Sandler creates. Um, and not only is he bringing actors back, but he's bringing them back in roles where there's clear connections between the various films. I'm looking up George Wall. Yeah, he does that quite a bit. We started talking a bit before about love interests, um, and Patricia Arquette plays the role in this one. I'm having a hard time with this, and I hope one of you can help me get through, where they clearly tried to do the, like, put some glasses on an attractive person to make them ugly. Why do you think they went with this choice of making her seem unappealing? Is it to make her somebody who might actually go for somebody who'd been hit in the face by a shovel? Yeah, I think, I think, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I don't think she looks unappealing at all. I think she looks like a kind of like a dorky hot yeah. girl. It's like kind of her typecast. She's the like quirky, offbeat, like unexpected sex pot in so many movies. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I I think she's very cute in those glasses. She's also just like very pure of heart in the film. Like I mm-hmm. feel like that's kind of the there's like an innocence to her. Like she has like like the scene where he floats and is at her apartment like she's holding like a teddy bear the entire time and keeps talking about the butterflies like I feel like that was kind of less so to like make her kind of like look obviously very like sexual and like femme fatale and like kind of alluring but more just like a really kind-hearted like innocent girl next door character because she's so cute I love her like the snaggle tooth that they make fun of I love that tooth (laughs) I get it though Gary (laughs) Because I think they did that with like her her clothes and you know wardrobe in the mm. movie and things like that and I think I think it's yeah to and and her kind heartedness I think that you know that was that's why she gravitated towards uh, Nikki and all that so yeah I feel like they kind of did the same with um with Jennifer Aniston just go with it where they like didn't really make her like you know unattractive she's still Jennifer Aniston but like. They definitely try to make her like dowdy kind of mom in a way, in a way that was like yeah. only was broken when they put her in a bikini. <laughs> They're just like, okay, like here's her in the bikini. And like, now he notices that she's like actually super hot, but like they kind of did the same thing where it's like, she's supposed to kind of be the character that you don't really look at, but mm. then here's like this moment. Right. They did that with Julie Bowen and he be Halloween too. Like she was kind of the, the dorky mm-hmm. mom who was falling all over herself for Adam Sandler's character be but then like you know she's also just a gorgeous blonde he likes to take accomplished humans accomplished artists uh and make them look really stupid he i mean this isn't a a knock i think this is just a real thing he really legit likes to make people look stupid and be like all right point and laugh at these accomplished thespians i think that's a pretty reductive take um, on what he's doing, as you and I have discussed before on this show, Jeff. A reductive the, take. Oh. It's a reductive take, because what we've discussed before is that he lets these actors and actresses do things that they wouldn't necessarily be able to do in some of their other movies. He lets them be silly. He lets them be absurd, and where some of them are in, even in comedic roles, aren't necessarily allowed to do this sort of absurdist comedy. So it was yeah. his mother's character's idea to where she was like, you know what would really pop this movie off? putting on a boner donor t-shirt <laughs> this movie's gonna pop if me an academy award nominated human comes in with the with the boner donor shirt sick <laughs> maybe it's to like maybe it's to elevate him because he's such a one-note comedian when you break down everything Nailed it. <laughs> That's what- i feel like it's like also just like i think he just kind of doesn't I feel like he just, like, makes movies for fun in the same way, again, like, the last two decades have just been, like, 
destination films where him and all his best friends go and like but he it's funny I didn't realize Punch Drunk Love immediately followed this like that was the next movie after this and this was like Hmm. one of his least successful movies and then you look at Hubie Halloween following Uncut Gems which is like his most like two of his most celebrated roles kind of like being capped off by like very ridiculous movies and it's just I think he just like doesn't take it super seriously and it is kind of it is really fun to see people like I don't know like Nicole Kidman in a movie of his and things like that where they're just like playing characters you would literally never get to see them do but they're having so much fun with it in the process there are a lot of cameos in this movie and I'm wondering if uh if we can get some uh, some favorites out of out of our our panel today again, Jeff. Since you didn't see this movie, please don't comment. Um, <laughs> but I'd love to hear from from our panelists about what if there are any particular cameos or performances in this film that really stood out for them. I like Chubbs uh, coming into this one too. I like how you know, like you were saying, Meta Carl Weathers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, all the all the callbacks to like his you know previous movies and. Um, Who's the dude that gets covered in bees? Henry Winkler. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was cool. <laughs> um, That's weird. Yeah, and the 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 two I I don't know their names, but the two you know metal stoner dudes. Those are those are the uh, glue that holds this movie together to me. They're definitely the best characters, yeah. I think. But I'm biased. I'm I have two favorite cameos. I just looked up a quick list to like refresh my memory. Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> is an amazing cameo at the oh, very yeah. end. Very quick, but like he does exactly what he needs to. But also, uh, Quentin Tarantino oh, as yeah. like the the weird Christian guy that has no eyeballs mm-hmm. or like he has all white <laughs> Quentin eyes. Quentin Tarantino is in this film. Yeah, <laughs> he is, and I'm a Tarantino apologist. Like I, I love the dude and I love his movies, but he's just really funny in it. Like he plays a kind of a, a preacher, I guess, outside of Grand Central Station. Mm-hmm. And every time Mickey comes around, he gets like a sense of uh, hell is about, like hellfire and brimstone is here. And he runs into light poles and gets hit by a car or something, I think. I can't remember exactly what it is. No, he runs, that's probably runs down like the, falls into the subway. That's, yeah. the, first, yeah. that's the first, that's the first of the many one. abuses. Yeah. And then, then he's at, he's he's in it at the end where they're all uh they're like there for the party from hell you know and he's like oh shit <laughs> I am gonna burn <laughs> the end is here you know that stuff yeah I love I love the Aussie cameo I was so excited to see him at the end I feel like it's just like illegal to have a, a movie about hell and not have an Aussie <laughs> cameo Fair. or it should be illegal <laughs> right went <laughs> to fuck darkness. I really like Jana Carvey as the Harlem Globetrotters referee. Um, it yeah. foreshadows another Happy Madison production. The uh, Harlem Globetrotters are in this movie? <laughs> you should really watch it. No, I shouldn't. This is all good evidence. That, that the Globetrotters, that's one of my favorite scenes because the, the one family's like, it's all part of the show. They're automatically my favorite guest star. One of my favorite cameos in this film and I forgot about this uh, until my most recent rewatch is John Witherspoon, uh, rest in peace. Oh yeah, uh, who plays uh, the thief uh, who steals the flask from a uh, heavy sleeping uh, little Nicky and then tries to uh, to hawk it on the street. Um, it was great to see him kind of doing his thing there. I think John Witherspoon's character was really funny because. There's so many guys at that specific flea market on like 72nd and Columbus that do that exact thing too. And will sell you just whatever they've picked up. And it's really fun. But Rodney Dangerfield's character is fucking hilarious. He's so good. And like, are there any comedians that are like making films like this now that are doing that, like putting older comedians in them? I think uh, Tim Robinson sort of does some of that. I'm with you on that. Yeah, with Detroiters, and I uh-huh. think you should leave. Yeah. I haven't seen I that. I feel like um, Pete Davidson's King of Staten Island was his attempt at that. Like, I feel like that's definitely going to be probably his thing going forward, just given, like, how much he does stuff with, like, older comedians and, like, how he kind of, like, is connected with them. But, like, I mean, like you know, like, having, like, Bill Burr play this, like, stepdad and everything, like, stuff like that. But, yeah. I haven't seen that, actually. 
So it's Bill Burr. Who else is in that one, actually? I would love to Steve know. Steve Buscemi is also in there? There you go. Another Sandler fame who's not in this movie. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was wondering another, if he was in Little Nicky or not. From the Hubie Cat. Yeah, he um, he's in King of Staten Island as well. Um, and I'm trying to think. There's a bunch of other random cameos. Like, obviously, like, Machine Gun Kelly is in every Pete Davidson film. Um, like, Marissa Tomei plays his mom. But there was, like, a lot of just, like, random people who showed up. But... I feel like a lot of the scenes between Pete Davidson and Bill Burr, which are clearly supposed to be kind of like much more paternal and like kind of this like intense connection between the two of them where they're playing off each other felt very similar to like a lot of what Adam Sandler has done with his idols and like in a lot of these movies. You need to watch Pete Davidson movies. I've never seen any of them. Yeah, me either. That movie is very long, but I actually really enjoyed it. It was like, it was a Judd Apatow film, so it's about... 45 minutes too long, but Apatow <laughs> is a dude that like Apatow will put old comedians in, in parts a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's a Sandler movie that, that rarely gets discussed. Uh, hasn't even been discussed on our show before. And since you brought up Judd Apatow and that's uh that's funny people. And there's loads mm-hmm. of old comedian cameos in that one. I feel like even putting Adam Sandler in that movie was kind of obviously, you know, He's not as veteran as a lot of the other people they had in there, but in comparison to like Seth Rogen in that film, like it felt like very much like this kind of here's a little bit more of an experienced kind of movie star, comedy movie star with Seth Rogen, who at the time was like still kind of, you know, rising, but that felt very similar to that. We've talked a bit earlier in this uh, program about the music. Um, and again, we know that uh, Jeff likes really pretentious, no fun music, and the rest Correct. of us are uh, regular humans who live in the world. Um, and no, no evidence of that, but correct on the other part. Is there a particular point in this mu- movie where you really enjoyed how the music worked with the narrative? I really liked uh, when, you know, when he's floating, or I guess when he first gets there and that Incubus song is playing. I really like that moment in it. Um, I, I heard that song. Um, Charles Hamilton did a mixtape sampling all Incubus. And, you know, that's how I first heard that song, I think. And, um, yeah, you know, I really like that moment. You know, and right before that, they were playing Everlong. But I, I got to be honest with Jeff. I, you know, a lot of the soundtrack is, you know, just, you know, not great. I mean, with the Rocky Like a Hurricane at the end, I thought, you know. But otherwise... Darko. What? I'm, oh. You expect me to like Rocky like a hurricane? I expect some reverence. I expect some reverence <laughs> for the classics, yes. Okay. Well, no, I, I, I liked yeah. a lot of it, but, uh, you know. Don't, no, don't let them pressure you into having to like stuff. <laughs> they said, no, absolutely up, not. I've seen you in a pile t-shirt. That's I don't true. I mean, look, I like pile and nobody else does, <laughs> and that's fine, but... I They're didn't great. put them Everyone on a soundtrack of a movie. Mostly because no one would see a movie I made. No, I would never. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> that three, uh, the float scene though, it's Everlong into Two of Hearts into Stellar by Incubus. This was my favorite like three shot go because it's like a little medley of different eras. But I love that they put Two of Hearts in there because he's like peeping in on that, that dude who's like obviously <laughs> gay. And like obviously a, a callback to uh, Buffalo Bill dancing to Goodbye Horses yeah. in um, Silence of the Lambs, and I think that they picked a really funny song to go with instead of Goodbye Horses because they probably couldn't, you know, they didn't want to kill that one. But yeah. this is the best way to know about this film. I'm glad I didn't see it, and that I'm listening to these <laughs> descriptions. They're incredible. Two of Hearts into Incubus. <laughs> Alone yeah. would be incredible, but it was a three-shot deal. Three of the most romantic songs of all time. Correct. Of all time. Together. Yeah. Of even your time. What time? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Old grumpy time. Exactly. One of my favorite parts of where the music fits the story is after they um, they frame Little Nicky for uh, the movie Scarface, uh, for some reason, is one of the earliest deep fakes I think I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> they, the citizens of New York rise up against little Nikki 
to basically to kill him. Um, and there's a scene where there's a number of, uh, of people in wheelchairs playing basketball at the park who then go after little Nicky with the rest of the, the mob chasing him. And suddenly POD's Southtown played. And I think it's a great scene because it just, it just amps up that aggression, which leads to the uh, comic tragedy of them all uh, going down a, a hill too fast and hitting a bus. An amazing part for sure. Yeah, I, I do love the, the touch of using a, a Christian new metal band as like one of the main kind of music cues in the film about right like satan's child (laughs) like one of the most obnoxiously christian new metal bands (laughs) like their biggest hit was alive i guess yeah is that the name of it that's correct Mm -hmm. it's pretty funny how many songs do they have in this soundtrack three three okay yeah they had to have gotten paid well for that i hope they did I mean, I think that's the last time they ever made money. So, yeah. <laughs> what does uh, POD stand for? I don't uh, know anything. Payable and delivery. Yeah. Is that what it is? Oh, really? Doesn't it mean once you get to heaven or hell or oh, whatever, man. you can be up with your soul? Oh, payable on death. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Delivery, death. You know that common phrase? <laughs> yeah. Pretty much the same idea: delivery and death. Now, Kelsey, you brought up the uh, one aspect of the floating scene that. Uh, in the portrayal of of a character obviously it's a reference uh to buffalo bill as you said but there is this sort of clowning of of gay characters and gayness throughout it it presents a challenge for the modern viewer to say the least i'm wondering with everyone's rewatches of this film where was that something that kind of took you out of the moment in any way or were there other aspects of the movie where uh you sort of got out of the narrative or were made uncomfortable by it Adam Sandler has always handled queerness in a really weird way. Like he was always kind of irresponsible with that back in the day. And I don't like for me, it doesn't hurt my feelings, but like I'm a, you know, cis person, I'm bisexual, but I'm married to a man. So it doesn't really affect my life in any way when like queer characters get mocked. But I think that he changed that over the years, but around that time period, for sure, he was like one of the Gen X dudes that was like calling people homo is an insult yeah. is what it can look like yeah it wasn't even like just in terms of sexuality but in gender and like gender performance like a lot of characters who are that's always kind of like the cringiest and like worst part of all, like every quote-unquote like classic adam sandler movie from this era like is that they always have a character that is you know some like a character that seems like they present mask and like is playing with femininity and it's kind of like a joke that's about sort of being trans or being like you know a lot of more like derogatory terms that they're using to call them that but Mm. I'm glad that it's gone away from a lot of his films and it's not in there anymore it does seem like he I don't think he's like ever super addressed it but it does seem like something he's backed off of in his movies but it's like in like literally every single film like I've watched a lot of Adam Sandler movies since March and re- like rewatched and watched a few that I had never seen before and like it's literally in all of those movies I think it was just in so many comedies at that, that time like For sure. comedy was so different than, and comedy ages so poorly usually so it's not something that like upsets me or anything it's and I, I doubt that most people are upset by it but it's definitely just like one of those things where like I remember when I was a kid in the 90s watching things from the 70s and being like, holy shit, they let people say this? Mm-hmm. And my mom would be like, yeah, it was like a different time. Like I feel like that watching late 90s movies now. Yeah, I will say, uh, you know, the roommate in Little Nicky and how, you know, they're Alan always, Covert, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, how, you know, they kept calling him Liberace and things like that. And he, he would get so offended. And yeah, I did. Uh, the, I don't know if it took me out of the movie, but yeah, I did like notice things like that like oh that's yeah i see what you're saying there yeah it's always like such a small part of the movie but then it's always like takes me out where i'm just like why yeah, was this in here like <laughs> like how is this a thing that happened but also it comes with age and also i was you know eight when this came out so i don't think i really grasped what was happening in most of the film you raised a good point before that in more recent films, he's definitely moved away from this aspect of humor, which uh, is to his credit, 
And I think that that's something that a lot of comics who have these sort of decades long careers do have to reckon with. There are still comics from his generation and otherwise who still are making trans jokes and still are making gay jokes with, you know, under the, the guise of comedians should say whatever they want because they think it's funny. And I think that the fact that Sandler can still kind of make a gross out moment comedy or an absurdist comedy and not resort to that, for example, Hubie Halloween is, uh, is a testament to uh, his, his artistic growth and his growth as a human being. I think it's also a, a cool testament to like, he's surrounded himself for what, I mean, I don't know all these people personally, but the actors in his films, you never hear anything terrible about them. It's mostly pretty great humans that do good work. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't I don't remember any like real scandals with big regular Adam Sandler actors. No. Did Rob Schneider get canceled or no? Oh, I wait. think he's very I think Rob Schneider is super right wing. Yeah. He, I think he was like very pro Trump in 2016. I don't I haven't heard anything from him since. Was he in Hubie Halloween? But as far as like yeah, assaulting he's people yeah. or like He's one of the just in general like they're not yeah. horrible people. Like that dude being right wing not great. <laughs> Not really pumped about it, but and look in 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 the in terms of SNL people, when we want to talk about the right wing, like Rob Snyder isn't even the like third worst <laughs> of them. You've got you've got Victoria yeah. Jackson yeah, and Joe Piscopo so, no. right there. I think it's also like part of the growth with Adam Sandler too is the point of all of his movies is like he's the butt of the joke. Like that's the entire point, and I think mm-hmm. it doesn't it wouldn't make sense for him to maintain a lot of the stuff that hasn't aged well. And that like, there are bigger conversations and like more education on now that like, you know, everyone else has, most people have been able to kind of lose from their comedy acts and lose from their movies. But like, I think for him, like the entire purpose of all these movies, like again, like keepy Halloween, like he is the butt of the joke, even uncut gems. Like he is like, the joke in the movie like he's the one that everything bad is supposed to happen to and that's the purpose of it the movie is so frustrating uh, like literally like it's it's so stressful <laughs> so good it just made me want to throw shit at my tv the whole yeah. time really but it's also so similar to every every adam sandler movie where it's like he puts himself in these like really frustrating situations and like obviously <laughs> the stakes are lower in like Cubie halloween and yeah. in little nicky but he just like you're like why are you making these decisions? And that's that's every Adam Sandler movie. Like it's no different than any of them. Punch Drunk Love. Like they're all they're all kind of the essential thing where he's like an absolute idiot, but you are still kind of rooting for him. But you still kind of want to see bad things happen to him because he's making terrible decisions. Yeah, sort of like uh, Eight Crazy Nights. Yeah. Yeah. Never seen it. No. It's one of my favorite Christmas ones. I should rewatch that. Is that a Christmas movie? Well, a Hanukkah movie, but Hanukkah yes. Movie. Okay. You know, yeah, it's all happening at it. the same time. But yeah, he's like a real jerk in that movie and eventually, you know, sort of turns things around. He never plays the leading man in the more traditional sense. Um, and I think that's that's a very self-aware decision. Yeah, well, like, yeah. you know, like Lil Nicky says, he's no George Clooney. So <laughs> right. I, he's not a, yeah. I feel like The Wedding Singer is probably the closest he gets to a, a traditional leading man where he is very much playing like the rom-com type but obviously in a very like campy and 80s referencing way but I feel like that's the closest he gets to it I think that he's also very invested in making himself out to be like the maybe I'm not so good looking but I'm the really nice funny (laughs) guy like he does that sometimes and it's a little bit too much like in the wedding I love the wedding singer it's one of my favorite movies ever but Mm -hmm. even it's a little schmaltzy in that way it's just like come on dude we get it you're the nice guy you should have won the girl but you know he was an asshole in that movie too Mm -hmm. and bringing that into the 2020 context one of the uh criticisms uh that's been levied against hubie halloween on this show uh by a previous guest uh is that hubie halloween is in a sense an incel movie to continue with that logic one could make the same argument for little Nikki is that this is somebody who spent, I don't know, thousands of years conceivably um, in hell without ever having a uh, relationship or sexual experience uh, who comes to earth and, you know, 
even in a kind way is like smelling and licking uh, Patricia Arquette's character, Valley Varen, um, because he likes the coconut of her perfume. <laughs> <laughs> I would say no, because I think in the romantic context, he doesn't always expect to win the girl over. Like, I think there is a level of like, kind of humbled surprise when it does happen. And like, I feel like, especially in Hubie, I got more of a sense of like, he was pining and didn't realize that she liked him back. And, but he just like happened to be kind of like this, like loser and a virgin and like all this other stuff. Like, you know, I don't know. I feel like there's a less, there is like anger, but I feel like the anger is not totally directed at the lack of sex. It's more at the other stuff. Yeah, it seems like more like he's unaware of the concept of sex, like in Hubie Halloween. Mm-hmm. Like he's almost asexual until he has this kind of awakening brought on by a woman showing this crazy interest in him that he has to be like beat over the head with. So it's almost yeah. like a mix between what could be interpreted as incel uh, content, I guess, versus like manic pixie dream woman stuff. Yeah, I feel like it's the same thing in Little Nikki too. Like he has like no concept of it. Like he's not like, like fantasizing about this woman but it's not until she does an act of kindness towards him that he's like i think i'm i really love her yeah yeah you know that he talks about feeling butterflies for the first time and all that you know i don't i don't think he knew what he he was ever in love before he went to earth and all yeah or knew anything about that yeah I feel like anger management is the closest movie to like incel energy oh sure <laughs> Like that one very much has like a lot of big, big incel energy in it. But I think that may be the only one in my opinion that has that. Yeah, I think the other argument I would I would say, the other one that I think falls in that is probably Punch Drunk Love, where he has this sort of kind of this rage in him that mm-hmm. shows up. I don't think it manifests in the in the romantic aspect of that movie. So I, I think your your point on anger management certainly stands. Um, but there is that in there and you certainly get it in the phone sex experience, and then ultimately, uh, when he does go to stand up for himself, that anger comes through uh, yeah. at, at Philip Seymour Hoffman in sort of an extraordinary way. For sure. Before I let all of you wonderful people go, and uh, it's really been great to talk to somebody other than Jeff, I'm hoping to get a sense, I'm hoping to get a sense of, uh, since Hollywood is so obsessed with sequels and reboots and things like that, were there ever to be in the Netflix Sandler filmography, were there ever to be a sequel to Little Nicky? What do you think might be in it? And who do you think would be his antagonist in the film? Oh, shit. I feel like Pete Davidson would definitely play a son. All right. Yeah, that's like 100%. Pete Davidson is a son. Yeah. And Patricia Arquette would definitely come back. Yeah, she definitely would. She's taken on worse roles. Yeah. Uh, who would be the antagonist, though? Damn. Would it be that Duran Duran brother? Do you think he would, like, come back? Well, I mean, he... Who even is that guy? Recent fans, I mean, he, yeah, recent fan Adrian, yeah. He's, uh, he, that's the last we've seen him and Cassius, uh, Tiny Lister, uh, they were up Hitler's ass. True. What if it's, like, the, the metal guys, now, because they die and go to hell, like, maybe they try to take over hell or something. I feel like they're too bumbling yeah. and stupid yeah. to take over. Hell I don't about. see them having that ambition. <laughs> quick note, just just jumping in real quick, and you guys can go back to this. Up Hitler's ass. This is this was a <laughs> oh yeah. This was a phrase yeah, that sticks, was tossed about. The devil sticks pineapples up there. Okay, it's, cool. It's, go ahead. It, his four p.m. pineapple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, maybe Pete Davidson could be son and foe. Yeah. That could be interesting. He's very tall and he has a lot of tattoos. He looks kind of evil. Mm-hmm. Tattoos usually do indicate evil, as we know. Yeah. I know. And because it's a Pete Davidson role, Machine Gun Kelly would have to be in it as well. Maybe that's the foe. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see uh, little Nikki and Hubie duke it out. Yeah. <laughs> I could also great. see like Henry Winkler making a comeback in this film. Yeah. After he had gotten stung by all the bees. <laughs> And he's suddenly the the villain because he's getting his revenge. The revenge of Henry Winkler. Yeah. This time he's pissed up. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, Jeff, we've heard from a panel of experts, some really fantastic people, given everything we've discussed, all this useful information. Mm -hmm. How do you feel now? Are you ready to sit down and watch the movie Little Nicky? Absolutely not. No, I have no desire to see this film. Okay. All right. I guess we're back to uh, Hubie Halloween next week. Uh, Gary, this sucks. See you next time.